behold, the Lord shall come to save the nations. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen. So, dear friends, today we'll give you the, the final in the series of sermons we've been looking at in uh, the, the four cardinal virtues. We spoke to you about justice, uh, uh, prudence, and fortitude. And today we will look at this question of temperance. And obviously they're all there uh, combined to help us uh, as great tools given to us by God to navigate this world in order to come to the life to come. And this, this virtue of temperance is uh, the moderation of all things bodily, uh, the moderation in the five senses. And it's very interesting that when we are about to enter into eternity, the priest will, uh, when, we, when he gives us the last rites, he uh, anoints us. Uh, but he anoints us on all the five senses, on the ears, the nose, uh, the, the lips, uh, the feet, the hands, because we use these uh, five senses to uh, walk through this life, but also maybe we sinned through them. So they are, they are purified, they are sanctified uh, to help us uh, in our journey uh, through in this life into the next uh, because they can be a great means to help us and ought to be uh, for elevation but they also can be a, a, a great means to bring us down and it's fitting that we speak about temperance in this time of uh, Advent because Advent is somewhat a time of uh, moderation uh, bringing things back a little bit putting aside uh, as much as possible secular, worldly entertainment, uh, reading or what have you, a time for more prayer, recollection and focus. Uh, St. Augustine poetically puts the, the virtue of temperance in simply saying that temperance is simply love preserving itself pure and uncorrupt for God. It's uh, preserving ourselves pure for God. And here, St. Thomas Aquinas explains what is the great importance, anyway, of temperance uh, for the spiritual life. And he gives us some deep insight here. He says that the more the soul is freed from the preoccupation with the body, the more it is, uh, does it, is it fit and does become uh, fit for understanding higher things. Hence, the virtue of temperance, which withdraws the soul from bodily pleasures, is especially fruitful in making men apt in understanding. Uh, it pulls us away uh, from the things of the world to elevate our hearts and our minds uh, to the things of God, to higher things. Uh, this is why it is so important. And it's not surprising that we, we have so few saints in the church in a time when we are uh, in heavily immersed uh, in the things of this material and passing world. Because the things of the world, as good as they may be, uh, if we are immersed in them, they become a hindrance uh, to higher things, more profound things to which we are called. Uh, some related virtues, and again, uh, the virtues and vices against them, I'm not going to speak a lot more about. And I'm going to try and take this sermon today from a perspective that perhaps you're not thinking uh, because I think we often have a very shallow look at this, this virtue and therefore don't see uh, its importance and how we uh, to practice it and in what ways we can make it practical and real for ourselves, especially 
as we are walking through this time of Advent. Uh, sin, uh, virtues that are related to it. First is the, the virtue of shame. Yeah, shame is a virtue in as much as we see um, that we ought not to have done something or we are not to do something uh, dressing modestly because we, don't, we would be ashamed to uh, look bad or immodest in front of others. So it's a, it's a very apt, very good, it's a virtue. To, and often you see when you do something that is shameful, the natural bodily reaction is to blush. You still feel, feel uh, bad, feel guilty. Uh, you've done something you know you shouldn't have done, and that's that's a virtue. That's uh, I know that the world tends to frown upon this sort of thing, but on the contrary, it's something that gives us that that natural preservation from uh, doing the wrong thing. So it is a help to us. Uh, along that same line is that of decency, and today you know that it's like people have lost any basic. Basic self-decency, self-respect in um, they, the way they go about uh, glorifying themselves. Uh, the virtue of abstinence, sobriety, chastity, modesty, and uh, continence, all linked to that of uh, temperance. Sins against temperance are uh, very important. The first one, loquacity. That is, waffling on all the time about anything because you just like to talk or like to hear your voice. Many people are like this today, and it is a vice. Uh, and it's very much linked to the vice of foolishness because the mark of a foolish person is to just waffle on, talk a lot. Uh, it's a sign of how empty and shallow. Because a wise man weighs their words, they know the value of words, and they know, uh, you know, it's like the priest, he, he studies seven years in the seminary, and hopefully sometimes longer, uh, in order that he may be able to carefully give you the right words uh, and not to err in what he says because every word is uh, very important. So we, we have to make sure that we are not foolish and just speaking because the wise man knows the more he knows, the more he doesn't know that much. He knows he's not as intelligent as he thinks. And the modern world talks as though it's in some sort of infallible authority and they are profoundly ignorant even on the, top, uh, the, the topics that they uh, speak about. They have often no no clue about what they're on about, no context, no history, no grasp of the matter in any real understanding, and yet they speak freely as though they are uh, an infallible source. Uh, it's a sign of foolishness. Uh, and obviously, you know that this uh, is linked also the sin of impurity, which leads to a blindness of heart and mind. Uh, and this is a danger for us in our, in our day. Uh, and this blindness leads to a spirit of inconsideration, thoughtlessness, rashness, disordered self-love, a hatred for God, a love for the world, and a despair, a despair for the future. And most people to, today live in a spirit of hopelessness and despair. Uh, and I'm going to show why this is a result. But how do we grow in, in uh, temperance? Well, firstly, by fostering a spirit of poverty and detachment. Poverty in the sense of not being necessarily physically poor, but having the, the uh, sense of letting go, letting go for, from the material things of this life because they, they are a hindrance to us. St. Paul says, But godliness with continent is great gain, for we brought nothing into this world, and certainly we will carry nothing out. Uh, St. Paul reminds us, What have you that you have not received? Everything we have is a gift from God. If it's a gift... 
therefore must be used wisely. Otherwise, God is going to punish us for the way we misuse this gift. And this is why the church, uh, throughout different seasons, like Advent, reminds us of the necessity for uh, abstinence uh, in the sense of uh, uh, abstinence from food, not necessarily abstinence from the, the Friday abstinence, but that mortification, that sacrifice of fasting, such a, a powerful tool. And even, even the secular uh, world, like doctors, have written volumes, literally entire volumes, on the, 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 the benefits of fasting. They know the power of this for us human beings. Great, great tool for us. Uh, it cures many physical and mental illnesses, just fasting, letting go, because we fill ourselves with things which, in the long run, uh, we fill ourselves with things which in the end we, we become uh, unwell. We're just constantly filling ourselves on a physical level and on a, a, a material level, constantly feeding uh, the body. And that makes the, long, the body in the long run sick, makes us ill. St. Thomas Aquinas points out, though, that fasting, if you want, in his words, abstaining, which simply is uh, mortification, it's not an end in itself. Uh, he just simply quotes St. Paul, says, Meat does not commend us or draw us to God, for neither if we eat nor if we don't eat shall we uh, uh, be more spiritual. Nevertheless, uh, abstinence, fasting, belongs to the kingdom of God insofar as it is done reasonably through faith and for the love of God. Uh, and, and you know, I, 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 we have to admit that the worldly people, they do many uh, uh, very uh, hard modifications, fasting and very tough regimes for worldly motives. And I find it funny that, that you know, when we, when we do a fast as Catholics, the worldly people would look at us and say, that's not a fast. That's a, that's a joke. In fact, they would say, you know, I, I don't believe in God, but the fast I do is actually far greater than anything you do for your so-called belief in your God. And that's, to be honest, just look at the, the routine of a bodybuilder or of a model or a, some, someone in Hollywood. Look at their schedule. Grueling, grueling. And they're doing it for the world. Uh, it doesn't gain them anything. It doesn't make them holier, better, and often makes them more stupid. Uh, but look at what they'll do for the world and ask ourselves, what do I do for God? And the reality is often not much. And therefore, I have to ask myself, do I really actually believe in God? Do I actually believe in uh, what I say I believe in? And that's why St. Thomas says, it is only powerful when it's done for a supernatural motive, for the love of God. Uh, because my faith, my religion, us expects this of me for a deep reason to draw me closer, to detach me from the world and draw me closer to God. And so he says that fasting has three great helps for us. First, to bridle the lusts of the flesh, uh, our passions. Secondly, that uh, the mind may rise more freely to the contemplation of heavenly things. And thirdly, uh, to make reparation for our sins. And I, I think this is a forgotten thing, definitely in the modern church. But even with us, we think we went to confession, that's it, I've done, I've done my deed. I hate to remind you that we're going to spend some of us hundreds of years in purgatory for our sins. But we do it now. We do it now while we can merit and make reparation for our sins, for the sins of our culture, the people around us. Because we, we go along with what's going on in our world and therefore we are, we are partly culpable uh, for uh, the sins of our society. We don't say that we are somehow exempt from that even if in our mind we may not approve of it, the reality is a lot of us have no indignation 
uh, no real sadness, sorrow about the world that we see uh, around us. We, we just blend in as though it's all okay, it's all good. No, we're going to have to make reparation for that. And that's why, yeah, fasting and abstinence are great in that regard to assist us. St. Thomas points out, uh, along with this, is the, the virtue uh, which is greatly helpful, is that of chastity or modesty. And, you know, I think this, this virtue of chastity and modesty is so misunderstood uh, in our time. And it's St. Thomas Aquinas that says that uh, chastity takes its name from the fact that, that reason chastises concupiscence, which, like a child, needs to be curbed. Uh, it's not just about... Uh, the way I dress. It's the way I think, my tendencies, my thoughts. In fact, modesty comes from the word modus, which means, uh, in Latin, uh, way you operate. Well, if I'm disrespectful to my parents, my teachers, my superiors, uh, well, I'm not modest. It doesn't matter how much clothes I put on. Yeah, modest clothing is one aspect of it. And it's one I often rarely ever touch on because if you can't figure that out, then you're in the wrong place. That should be obvious to you. But the more higher aspect of it, we often never consider. And that is, it's, it's our whole bearing. It's our whole demeanor. And that's, that's why St. Paul re- reminds us that uh, he says very clearly, let your modesty be known to all men. How do you make your modesty known to all men? The way you speak, the way you act, the, uh, your attitude, the, the whole bearing of the person. And in fact, sacred scripture points this out. It says, a man is known by his look. A wise man, uh, when, he meet, when you meet him, is known by his countenance. The attire of the body and the laughter of the teeth and the gait of a man show what he is. For as St. Ambrose later explains that, from the outward movements, the man uh, that lies hidden in our hearts is esteemed to be frivolous, boastful or impure, or on the other hand, to be sedate, steady, pure, and free from blemish. Uh, the exterior, and I know often people say, uh, you know, the, the external way I dress, it's not important. Well, yeah, it is, because the external is a sign of what's in your heart. So if you are dressing modestly, it's a sign that at least from the facade point that you are being modest, you have a desire to be modest. And if you don't dress modestly, it says that there's something wrong with you internally. Uh, that's why our Lord says it's not what you eat or drink that makes you impure. It's the words that come out of your mouth. Why? Because the words that come out of our mouths are a sign of what's in our heart. If you're uh, agitated, if you're impure, it's going to come out in your speech, in your actions, in your words, your thoughts, your desires, your tendencies, from an external point of view. Uh, and the external should be a resemblance of what's internal. So if internally we are modest, we should dress modestly. And I know, I, know it, it, I will say this, that modesty, yes, today, uh, where there's no standards, a, a person can be naive about that and, and, and think that oh, they, what we would consider as Catholics, uh, as immodest, they would think, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm really modest, I've got something on at least. Uh, no, actually, that's, that's not really what modesty is. Uh, there are proper standards. Uh, that person may be ignorant because the society around them uh, helps them uh, to a false understanding of modesty. But our faith gives the clarity on that. Uh, and that should be, uh, I think, very straightforward for us. And, but we must be careful that we help them, that we help them by the way we dress, uh, uh, that we always, uh, men dress as gentlemen. 
not just speak as gentlemen, but we always dress well. Uh, we edify in the way we speak, the way we dress, the way we comb our hair, everything edifies. It impresses, it touches. Uh, uh, I've met people who would go to work and then they're, they're laborers. They are people who work on a, on a job site. And sometimes you, I would say, oh, uh, where are you going to? You've got a very important function. So I'll just stand back from work. But he's still dressed uh, very respectfully. Why? Because I'm a respectful person and I want to show that it's important, no matter where you are, always to dress well. To, uh, to give a edifying, edifying, and that's a very important thing that in all of our words, in our speech, in our actions, we don't just uh, get along, we edify, we impress in the proper sense of impress, that uh, people really want to be about, around us because they, they feel that they come, they leave us all the better for it, uh, on every level. Uh, and, and you can dress well and edify and impress without being tacky. Uh, there's a difference. They're not I'm not saying this, uh, you dress tackily or dull. No, uh, on the contrary. Look at the way a picture from any scene you want today, the way society dressed uh, in the 1930s. Everyone was dressed so well and everyone uh, uh, had a very beautiful demeanour, uh, beautiful faces. Today, you know, when you see most people's faces with all the tattoos and face piercings, you, you don't even know what it is anymore. Uh, and they don't, you ask them, they don't even know what they are because the external demeanour has made them lose sight of who they are. And that's a sad reality that, that we are seeing today. Uh, the problem is today we live in a world of self-gratification, instant gratification, uh, because we've let, lost sight of why am I here today? Uh, you know, you send your children to school, and I, in my early years, was taught was, as a priest in, in our schools, and I was often horrified by the, the reaction of our parents who, oh, Father, you've given homework for the children. Uh, I said, yeah, well, that's what we do. We're here to learn. We're here to teach and educate. We're not here to play. Schools are for educating. It's a novelty for some people. School, uh, children are here to learn. For them, oh, no, we're children are here to play. No, no. Once they started school, playtime is over. But the fact really, really, is that most schools, what do you do? You've got sport, you've got PE, you've got all these classes which have nothing to do with any real education which the parents could teach you at home. But we, we spend so much time playing at school. The kids come home and they play. They think that their whole life is about entertainment. And somehow, by accident, oh, we've got to do some work somewhere. No, no, it's back to front. We're here to work and toil and labour. And there are occasional times of recreation. But today, you know, most people's life, it's the opposite. Life is recreation. And if we happen to go to work, it's only so we can be recreated. That's the society. Society of instant gratification that lives purely on the sensory level. St. Paul reminds us that, no, you're not, that you are members of, uh, uh, and temples of the Holy Ghost who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own, for you are brought with a great price. Glorify and bear God in your bodies. Our whole body, our whole life is to glorify God. Who thinks like this today? Today, the body for almost everybody is to glorify me, to entertain me. It's all about me. Actually, it's not. And we, we as human beings are unique amongst all the creatures. We can laugh. We can uh, 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 make jokes. We can reason. Uh, we are quite unique. And even the bodily structure, to arms, to legs, gives us so much uh, ability to do, accomplish so much. 
and an intelligence that God has given us. And today, today, we have abdicated our use of our intelligence. Today, we are, most people are either brain dead or brainwashed. And brainwashed, what do I mean by brainwashed? Not because they just listened to somebody who told them something. But they are brainwashed in the sense that they hear what they're told and never question it without thinking. And if, if we had done that hundreds of years ago, we wouldn't even have the invention of electricity. All of our, our medical advancements, all of our scientific advancements, because somebody questioned the narrative, said, hold on, that may just not be true. Let's look into it. And what about, Father, what about on a religious level? Don't we, should we question the church? Well, you know, if you question the church, you'll always find the church is true because God backs up his word with what? The lives and the holiness of the saints are unrivaled in any other religion in the world. And the miracles of the Catholic Church unrivaled by any uh, institution in the world. And all the, the so-called academics in the modern world, when it comes to religious, they, they start off with the premise that they don't believe God. Well, if you start off with you don't believe God, the problem with that is you're actually not being objective. What are you being? You're being anti-God. And that's why when you read the writings of the modernists, you come out and you lose your faith. Why? It's not that because they question God. Their first premise is that what God said is not true. And it can't be true. Because supernatural things don't happen. They don't believe. So are they being objective? No, they're being biased. They're not, they're not questioning in a proper sense. That's why the saints explain that, that faith uh, or theology is faith-seeking understanding. Not understanding, seeking faith. We start off with the premise that God, I'm not God, that should be obvious. When God speaks, it's true. Uh, let us try and understand what he's telling us. And this is why the church has, unlike any other religion, a great massive depth of theology. We will never scratch the surface, even if we studied our whole life long, uh, on the great depth of the wisdom of the saints, of the popes, of the past. Nothing about today who even thinks anymore. Today, if you find anybody who thinks on any level about anything, good luck. It's very rare. People are either brain dead or brainwashed. They don't think and they don't like to think. That's just the reality. It's still too hard. And, and this is as a result of our modern technological society, which has made us slaves to our passions. Let's, let's face it. They have placed a, an obstacle for us. We are on a level of uh, sensory overload today. We go from our iPhone to our iPad to, to this or that uh, image, to this or that entertainment, all day, every day. Where's the time for the soul? Where's the time to, to deepen our, uh, our thought, even to recollect? And it's most people, they are constantly distracted in their prayers. Why? Because it's a whole world of sensory overload. To, to meditate, to contemplate, means you abstract from the senses and you go higher. Where is the going higher today? Good luck. Even, even to be fair, you read the writings of the, the great leaders of pagan religions prior to the coming of Christ. And me, as a Catholic priest, I'm astounded at the depth of thought in someone like Confucius or Buddha. You don't see this in, in the false religions after Christ in Muhammad. It was a total sensual, carnal, uh, savage, brute. Uh, you don't see that. There's no, totally entrenched on the sensory level. Judaism after the second century, 100% purely on a, on a sensory level. The depth of spirituality is gone. You see it today. 
no depth of, of, uh, of any real uh, caliber. Uh, what do we, what do we uh, have with us today? A, a profound reality of the superficial. Superficial in the sense of empty, hollow, no depth, just on a facade level. We've got this facade level, and we don't even know what to make of the facade level of society. Uh, men don't know what a man is. Women don't know what a woman is. That, uh, people who get married, they don't know what a family is for. Why are they getting married in the first place? They haven't got a clue. Just all emotional. So when things don't work out, well, each one goes their own way. That's what you see. Because it was all about me and my feelings. It wasn't any, any real depth. It wasn't any real focus on something higher than themselves. So when things don't go uh, our way, we, uh, we go with ourselves. This is the reality we see uh, around us. Uh, this has created for us a deep problem. Today we are afraid of the thought that we, we may suffer. You know, the media recently about, it's going to be a hot day on, on uh, the weekend. You think that they were telling you the apocalypse is coming. In a time where we have so many means to avoid uh, the heat, air conditioning, fans, uh, running water, whatever you want, uh, swimming pools, easy access to uh, air-conditioned cars, the shopping center. But the fact that man could somehow undergo a suffering, no, we can't, we can't have that. So when, when uh, it comes to the very thought that I could suffer, I don't want to suffer. So when we are forced to suffer, either when Lent comes or Advent, no, no way. Uh, we do things that are a, a mockery for any real suffering. Or when real suffering does come, not wanted, how do we react? We fall in a heap. And many people at that point walk away from their faith. How could God, a good God, allow this to happen to me? But you know, in the past, men and women were accustomed to suffering from the day they were born. Life is tough. And they were brought up uh, with a purpose and responsibility and accountability. Uh, I remember one of the faithful said, Father, how do I ensure my children keep the faith? I said, well, beyond the fact that you love them, make sure that they are instilled with responsibility, that they have a accountability. You know, the mark of almost all of our politicians today almost all of the men in authority today, no responsibility, no accountability. And if something goes wrong, they blame someone else. The inflation in our country, what did they recently say? It's your fault because you're going to get a haircut and coffee. That's ridiculous. Inflation is only from one cause. Go and study it. The one cause is government overspending. But they don't want to take any accountability, no responsibility. But that's their duty to take accountability, responsibility. The destruction that's going on in the church... The church leaders never blame themselves and the disastrous reforms. Look at the people, and then they blame the world. What an insult to God. No accountability, no responsibility. If you want children to, to grow in the faith, teach them accountability and responsibility from a young age. You're not here to play. You're not here to have fun in life. You, yeah, there are times for fun and there are times for recreation, but that's not the purpose of your life. And seeking that fun will never give you happiness because that's just emotional reaction. It's not real happiness. Real happiness actually is founded on sacrifice. The saints were happy people. Our Lord was the most happiest of men. Uh, we've lost sight of that. We live a, a life which is in many ways a lie. 
It's a lie. And we, we kid ourselves in that lie. Uh, you know, for example, I, and I said to one of the priests, even I have to catch myself out as a priest. So, for example, I was taking a walk and I thought, you know, maybe I need to take some water with me. I thought, hold on, this is terrible. We worry that if I'm going for a walk for one hour, two hours, if I don't take some water, I, I'm going to die of thirst. No, no I'm not. And, and so what if I suffer some thirst? It might make me more appreciative of water and thank God for the gift that he's given me. Uh, today, the classrooms, people go into the classroom, they've got the water bottle. They go to church, in the church, they've got the water. You know, you're not going to die if you, don't, if you don't drink water. You're not going to die. And, and I, I'm speaking from my, someone who does suffer from that uh, 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 you know, difficulty. But I'm not going to die. I haven't died yet and I don't think I'm going to die. Uh, the mosquitoes can fast for three hours. You know, we can fast for three hours. Uh, it's not that deep, but, but we have made it such a mental uh, fear. And I, again, I keep catching myself out on that. Uh, hold on, it's, if I travel without food in, with me, or I'm going to be fine. I don't need to be worried. I don't need to be anxious. I, I'm going to be fine. God's going to look after me. Uh, we easily become anxious, stressed, worried, fearful that uh, we're going to, uh, uh, the fear of suffering. This is not, should not be for us. Uh, uh, not that suffering is easy for us. But, you know, the, the people in the past weren't great because they were great. They were great because with increments they learned to endure suffering outside of the time when suffering didn't come their way. They learned to make sacrifice. And I'm going to explain this point. Because today, the word sacrifice for us really it is a very dirty word. We don't like to hear it. And it's hard for us to hear it. And I understand that. So I'm going to give some tips on, on that. But the reality is this all has created for us a bit of a, a mental uh, atrophy and a apathy. Atrophy in a sense we are, um, we are weak. But it has created for us a mental apathy in the sense that we are apathetic. We are bored. Uh, we are bored today. In a time when we shouldn't be bored... Because there's so much treasure out there in our faith, in our history, to, to deepen our knowledge of our faith. We are bored because we are constantly looking for entertainment. And we are bored. Uh, we are bored. And, and you ask our young people today, what do you aspire for? What do you desire? What do you seek? They, they are lost. And, and I often see this mistake with parents. They often say to their little child, Johnny, what do you want? Uh, and I'll tell you what Johnny wants. He doesn't know what he wants because he's a little Johnny. He, he, he's a little boy. He doesn't know what he wants. In the past, parents didn't ask their Johnny what he wanted. They told Johnny, this is good for you. And Johnny, you need to be doing this. You need to be doing that. Because we guide you. We direct you until you're able and you're stable to make a, a good decision on your own. Until then, actually, you, you don't really know what you want. Uh, and that's understandable because you're still a child. And that's the role of the parent, to guide, to direct, to help. Uh, and what do you see today in the church? That, oh, let's ask the lay people what they want. Well, no, that's not your role. Your role is to guide, direct, and help the lay people to, to draw closer to our Lord. Not to ask them, uh, what's your thought on this or that? Their thought is irrelevant because they're not schooled in the theology of the church. And the theology of the church tells us what is right and wrong. It guides us in what is right and wrong. That's the role of the parents, that's the role of the priest, to guide others in the right and wrong path, to say this is wrong and this is uh, right. 
to help you based on higher principles. When we lose sight of the principles, then we start behaving like we do today. The parent uh, and the teacher ask the student. The priest asks the lay people. The pope asks uh, all the lay people, let's get together and have a synod of synodality. It's, it's all inverted. We're all lost. This is crazy. But it's all related to temperance. Uh, it's all related. It's not somehow that you can see. Uh, when we become intemperate, we become confused, we become lost, we become blind. Uh, and so it's, it's not by accident. We've seen in the last few hundred years, in a very good book written on this by uh, E. Michael Jones, uh, Dominum Libandi, which he says explains it in the whole book. The last few hundred years you've seen uh, this push on the, on the television, on the media, on uh, ads, you've seen uh, in, in books, in magazines, this push for immorality. Why the push for immorality? To pervert the people so they can be controlled by the passions, the senses. Uh, uh, the, the, more, uh, the more we see uh, uh, society governed by the passions, or as it was um, uh, out of uh, Herlix in his book, 1984, The Brave uh, New World, he says that as the political and economic freedom diminishes, sexual freedom tends compensatingly to increase. So they allow more and more perversions on a moral level, but at the same time, there's an increase of political and economic control. Uh, because as long as we, we give them more freedom and liberties on, on questions of immoral issues, uh, then we can control them. And that's what you see uh, in a world today. And it's St. Augustine who pointed out this a long time ago. He said, thus a good man, though he be a slave, is free. But a wicked man, though he be a king, is a slave, for he serves not one man alone, but what is worse, as many masters as he has vices. Who is he a slave of? His passions. How many masters has he got? As much as passions and as, as vices as he's got. Uh, and so you see that today there's no depth of thought in the church or in the state precisely because of this. Today, in our state, in our country, if you had gone back just 30 years, people would be in an uproar at the state of affairs that is going on in our country. They are grinding Australia down to a halt on every level. And yet there's no uproar. Because to have an uproar means you have an intelligence to analyse it properly. And yet there's no um, basic people to even think. You know, they talk about Australia being a dry country, no water. Uh, I, I found it very funny that, that Pauline Hanson asked the question that I've been saying in my head for years. That is, if there's no water in Australia, why do you allow the water in the, in the uh, Murray River, why do you allow it to go out to the sea instead of saving that water? And if we don't have water in Australia, why do you give billions of, and trillions of uh, megalitres away to other countries who buy it from us? What about the farmers? What about Australians? Oh, Again, basic point. Uh, it doesn't take much intelligence to figure that out. If an idiot like me can say that there's a problem there, uh, it doesn't require much intelligence. But she just asked a, a basic question which shows the degree of criminality taking place in our country today. Uh, and, and yet there's no major uproar. Why? Because it requires a degree of intelligence, of thought. And there's not a whole lot out there of thought today.
It's the same thing, the, the degree of insanity taking place in the Catholic Church, the church which is the, the greatest literature, music, artwork, buildings in the world, the greatest institution uh, that the world has ever known, and you see the insanity that's going on. Uh, and you think, well, why is there no real uproar? Because most Catholics don't even know their faith anymore. So how can there be any real resistance? Uh, it requires that you, you think, you study, you pray, that you understand what you're... Uh, when you go to church, you understand why you're there. You understand the Catholic faith. Most people don't have a clue about the Catholic faith. Most of the Catholic clergy wouldn't know what the Catholic faith was. Uh, it's reality. Be honest about that today. They don't really know. Uh, they don't study. They don't read. They don't think. There's no depth. It's a sensory overload, a society of pure sensory on every level. And it's impacted our hearts, our minds, and our thoughts. The, the, the conciliar religion didn't build the Catholic faith. It builds a decadent, empty world that we're seeing today. And it's reflected, again, reflected in the modern churches, that modern artwork, which is all ugly, perverted. Uh, I think a 10-year-old can do better than what you see putting it out, out there today. Why is that? Well, it's precisely the intemperate man can't see. He's carnal. He's blinded by the passions. It affects us. And it is affecting our whole life and our whole world. Uh, we are constantly surrounded by things that interrupt our life. And the Archbishop pointed out this uh, already in 1948 in one of his pastoral letters. He says that modern man is displaying an almost pathological agitation brought on by a sensual activity out of all proportions to the physical strength which God has given to him. Radio, the cinema, a whole host of modern inventions are largely to blame for this. But uh, these things would do less damage if people knew how to use them with moderation. This is not the case, however. And wherever we turn, we are faced with the spectacle of humanity rushing avidly in pursuit of intense sensual experiences. The effect upon the intelligence, whose activity depends so largely upon the nervous system, is all too evident. Children and young people have greatly, great difficulty concentrating at school, and adults find it hard to sustain any intellectual effort or to give their minds to any one thing for long. You know, it's very difficult for a teacher today. Children are always distracted. They find it hard to concentrate for more than three seconds. Uh, and we're all getting like that. Uh, we have to be honest about that. It's impacted us all. And, and that's going to impact our sanity, going to impact our sanctity. Uh, how, do, how do we fight against this today? And here we're not talking about how do I impact the world? How do I change myself in, in this regard? How do I keep a check uh, that I don't fall into uh, this. And it's very hard. Uh, it's very hard, especially when you don't have somebody above you helping you, guiding you, and, and on your case, like a personal trainer would be. Uh, today's society, it's everyone for themselves, unfortunately. And when you do have somebody, uh, maybe like a nasty priest, like me, who says something, you people get their back up. They don't want to hear it because you often hit a raw nerve and they're happy. They're happy in uh, being lulled into a false 
central mindset. Uh, first, that is that we must be determined to acknowledge the problem. We have to acknowledge the problem. And that's hard because we are immersed in it. So it's hard to see that this is a problem. I'm fine, Farrell, I think I'm doing okay. Well, not really, no, we're not fine. We're not doing okay. Uh, so we must see, and then we must be determined uh, not only to, um, to overcome it, but to improve ourselves, to become the great person that God has called me to be. God has called us all to greatness. And that's not easy when we're in a time when we are weak. And I will give some pointers to help us there. We must try to set limits to the use of technology and material things. There's a time and place for it. Um, I don't have to answer every call that comes to me. Uh, I'll get back to them later when it's a better time. And, and, you know, when it comes to the phone, if we are in the presence of other people, unless it's a very majorly important call, we don't take the call. Because the person in front of me is more important than the person on the phone or who's texting me. Uh, that's more important. The priority is for the person in front of me, not for the person who's far away from me. That's a basic courtesy. But we have to have the self-control, and that's hard for us. Of course, there are going to be exceptions, but we make them exceptions. Uh, we must try to foster within ourselves and in our families a spirit of cultural interests, uh, a spirit there where we set aside a time to read, to listen uh, to good things. Uh, we take up good and edifying hobbies that are beneficial to us. Uh, we foster an interest in, in thinking, how do things run, how do things work, how, do, how does this up to understand uh, how things actually work. Not just that we push the button, not just that we uh, turn on uh, the microwave. The microwave is good, but how does it actually work? How does it cook the things? Uh, good for us to know, uh, observe, to ask questions, to look, to study these things that we understand, not just the superficial level of things. Uh, we must learn to build up uh, a prayer life. You know, often we, uh, we, we are so unaware of the beautiful riches of the prayers of the church. So many great books written, uh, prayer books, and the, the wording, the, the treasure in them is unfathomable. Bring us, expose ourselves to them, expose our children to them, help them to know the certain prayers we should know off by heart. Uh, should become part of us uh, automatically. And, and, it's, and you don't need to know even how to read uh, to say some of those prayers today because uh, you, you can hear them on audio. And just by repetition, you learn them. Uh, worth learning. Investing in, in, in time in beautiful things. Uh, make an effort for those things. And I would say when it comes to penance, and here's the help, Make the penance part of your daily life. And what I mean by that is you don't actually need to invent a penance. And I find that, if, to be even more blunt with you, inventing a penance only makes you very often, very, with few exceptions, more superficial. Because you're, you're doing, and often those who invent penances, they'll, they'll do the penance that they like. But how about the penance of when your parents tell you something, actually do it. How about, you know, you, might, you, know, you buy a coffee in the morning, which is a good thing, how about this morning I'm going gonna, I'm, I'm gonna to buy a coffee but give it away? Or uh, I'm just going to go and have water today? It's part of my daily routine. Incorporate it into your daily routine. 
You know, how many spouses will become great saints because they know, they know already the mindset of their spouse. They know, children know them, what their parents are going to say. Until, they know that. They already know it. How about, uh, in knowing it makes you uh, ability to please all the more better your parents or your spouse. And what do we do? Instead, uh, we become terrible because we think, oh, well, you know, they don't, concern, they don't think about me. They don't do this for me. So why should I do this for them? And why should I be considerate of them? Is that holy or is that selfish and childish? You know the, the, the mindset of your spouse, anticipate it, make it, and you may not like this thing that they, uh, you, you might have a quicker meal, you might hate it, but for them, you do it. Uh, somebody asks you to do something, you might not want to do it. Uh, come and, uh, and, and watch a movie with me, a good movie with me. I don't want to watch it, but for their sake, we do it. It's a mortification. Uh, I, I don't want to call Johnny, I can't stand him. I'll give him a call. Uh, it's just a, a penance. It's not because we like Johnny, it's because it's a good deed for me to do. Incorporate it into your part of your daily life. There, our whole life, mine and yours, are a life of monotony. We, we, most days we do the same thing we did yesterday and we're going to do the same thing tomorrow. Well, incorporate that penance into your daily life of things. And, and what happens there? You slowly actually start to think on the level of sacrifice. Even if the reality is, all of us, without exception, myself, we, we are not that great, and probably we are wicked in some way. Uh, and, and, and the beauty of the church recognizes that's why we have confession. We are wicked, we are sinners, and we get, a, we get another chance. Try again tomorrow. Great, we'll, we'll try again tomorrow. But don't just go to confession and do the same thing tomorrow. It just makes us more culpable. Tomorrow, try again. Make, make a plan. Tomorrow, when I come to this situation, uh, what am I going to do? Uh, when I'm confronted with that, uh, I've, got, I've got a plan in mind. I know I'm going to see Johnny tomorrow. I'm going to at least make a, a mental reservation not to think anything badly of them. I can start with that. And, and we build up from there. The saints, that's how they became great saints. They, they built up. They started very small little things that nobody can see. Nobody will even notice. And that's not important that they see or notice. But bit by bit, they transformed it. Bit by bit, they became able to make sacrifice, willing. In fact, they looked for it later on. And if they, they weren't making a sacrifice, they thought, oh, they weren't doing something right. That's how they became great. Those little, those little steps in our daily life. And, you know, I, I remember a story, a true story of one of the saints. Uh, he was explaining to another fellow priest. The priest came to him and said, there's this woman who lives a bad life of ill repute. And she gets her money from living a life of ill repute. And she, but she donates from time to time money to the church, what do I do? He says, no, no, keep accepting it. Why? He says, because she'll either give up the life or she'll convert, one of the two. Because by giving the money, this wicked woman thought that she was doing something good, and she was. The, the act was a good deed. But she realised there's there's, in her life there's a sense of hypocrisy. There are, and there was. One hand trying to help uh, God, serve God, and one hand very clearly serving the world, the two extremes. But in the end, she realized um, she needs to let go of the world. And she did. And it's the same thing with us. In, if externally we start to make these little steps, we, start, we might start to believe what we live and we might start living that reality. One step at a time. And if we incorporate it into little steps in our daily life, it's much easier. It's much more realistic. Um, and, and that's the real sense of a holy person. Somebody who is detached from the world, but who, when you live with them, you see them, 
they, they accommodate themselves to everyone. Uh, that's someone who's living their faith. And this is uh, when we consider the virtue of temperance, how we moderate all things. Sometimes being temperate means uh, uh, having a steak because John has asked me to come with him to the restaurant. Well, I go with him. Uh, and with, I might uh, uh, find that uh, I'm splashing out, I'm splurging, I'm, I'm going out to a restaurant. Well, John has asked me to act of charity. Sometimes, I, uh, you know, when you've got a large family, you want that piece of meat for yourself, but make a sacrifice. No, I'll leave myself last because I really want that steak, but uh, I'll leave it for someone else. I can make that sacrifice. I can put myself last uh, without saying anything, without boasting about it, not just reserving myself, take a step back. Little thing like that. So sometimes it might mean having an extra beer. Sometimes it means going without beer. Accommodate yourself. Uh, moderate yourself uh, with every situation you're in. This is how we... And why, why is this? As Father uh, Albert Powers, the Jesuit, explains that the glory of the beatific vision is the result of God's self-annihilation. Per crucem ad lucem, through the cross unto the light. And this truth, it is, that lies at the very root of the spiritual life, a life that is lived intent on the things of the spirit rather than on the visible things of the universe. Other arts and sciences and professions are occupied with created material things. Even abstract sciences, such as mathematics, busy themselves about the qualities and the accidents of material extended things. Religion alone is occupied exclusively with supernatural interests. To enable the soul to sacrifice and turn away from pleasures and interests of the world, a strong supernatural impulse is required, and that impulse is supplied by the glimpses of the brightness of God. Jesus taught that uh, the value of time is its relation to eternity. Our actions here are a preparation for our existence hereafter. The important things are not what you do, but how you do it. Namely, in accordance with the will of him who planned uh, your existence and is helping you to work out your destiny. In the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Amen.